Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I'm telling you right now, I'm of the seed of Abraham. And Jerusalem, which is above, is my mother. That's the new covenant church and the new covenant bride. And it's not an accident that in John chapter 2, Jesus comes to a wedding feast at Cana because it's a picture of his wedding getting married to both Jew and Gentile. Now, let me do it. He's not replacing Israel. It's what I call placement theology because the real Israel of God, according to Galatians, is the seed to whom the promise was made in Jesus was that seed. Jesus is the true Israel of God. The issue even in Romans 11 is not whether you are grafted in or you're a natural branch. The issue that Paul was raising is if you're not connected to the vine, and to the, uh, we're the branches, he's the vine. The issue is not the issue is not what kind of a branch you are, the issue is the vine. And if you're not grafted into this vine which is Christ, then you're as lost. If you're preaching there's another way in, you're preaching another gospel. Now, I would normally say we're running out of time, but we're we're not running out of time because I'm just going to let the cameras roll because I feel like I need to stay in this flow. I, I, when he when he is uh, uh, standing there before the scribes and Pharisees again, he's telling them, "I'm the true vine." That's one of the things Jesus says in in, in these seven I am's that he he declared. Go back and watch my YouTube videos of the seven I am's of Jesus. There's 28 of them, because being connected to the vine is the issue. Matter of fact, Jesus even stands in front of these Jewish leaders and he says, "You're not Abraham's seed." You're of your father, the devil. If you were Abraham's seed, you would believe, because the children of Abraham are the children of faith. And in Galatians 3, prior to this chapter, he said this promise was not made to seeds, plural. It was made to one seed, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. Now let me say this to you. When God called the children of Israel out of Egypt, He uses this terminology. He said, Israel is my firstborn, and out of Egypt have I called my son. But when you come to the New Testament, Jesus and His parents have to flee into Egypt, and they're fleeing from Herod, who was out to kill the young lad, just like Egypt was out to kill Moses. Man, I don't know. If you can't see some of these parallels, I, I, I can't help your blindness. That's all I can say to you. I pray God opens our eyes and opens our ears. But when Jesus comes up back from Egypt, having fled from Herod, they quote this very scripture that I just quoted. He said, so that the scripture might be fulfilled, Israel is my firstborn, and out of Egypt have I called my son. So the real Israel of God is Jesus. And if we are in Jesus, it, it, it is not replacing. It just drew a bigger circle and said, listen, that it reaches back. That's why even John's gospel doesn't start with the lineage motif. It goes clear back to Genesis and starts and includes the entire human family because we are all children of God through faith 
in Jesus Christ. And so that when we get over here and we realize that the real Israel of God is Jesus, and that He's not trying to replace anybody, but He is the placement of God, and when we're born again we are placed in Him who is the true Israel of God. And if we are not Israel, then we do not have a new covenant. You say, why? Because the Scripture says, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel after those days. So if we are not the Israel of God, we are not the new covenant, but Galatians 4 is making it pretty clear here that the Jerusalem which now is, is Mount Sinai in Arabia is an old covenant Hagar, but Jerusalem which is above is our mother, and she's the, she's the new Jerusalem that is the bride, the Lamb's wife, in Revelation chapter 21, it is the city of God, the new Jerusalem is not a place, it's a people, and the tabernacle of God that is with men there is not a location building, it's who we are. Behold the tabernacle of God is with men, and I quoted the last segment on here when I said to you, uh, he reads from the Message Bible, says, look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood, He's made His home in men. God lives in the temple of God that we are, and when Jacob is at this Bethel and sees the angels of God ascend and descend, and he calls the name of that place Bethel and the gate of heaven, what he's simply talking about is finds its fulfillment in Christ. Because Christ is the Bethel, He is the gate of heaven, He marries us as this new bride, and He is the place where God has moved into the neighborhood, and the Bethel, the house in which God lives, is with men. God lives in the midst of this new covenant house. In Hebrews, that is again another powerful treatise of it moving from the natural to the spiritual, because in, in, in the book of Hebrews He's better than Moses. He's better than angels in chapter 1, because angels delivered the first covenant. This one was delivered by a son. He's better than Joshua in chapter 3 and chapter 4. There's a better promised land in the piece of real estate. Hebrews 4 tells us that, that the promised land is rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Chapter 5 and 6, there's a better priesthood than Levi's. There's a better tabernacle. There are better sacrifices. There's better blood. There's better promises. In Hebrews 11, there's better faith. In Hebrews 12, there's a better city. And that city, he said, you have come to Mount Zion, and you've already come to the city of the living God. Paul would quote that in another place and said, you are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being chief cornerstone. I submit to you that the stone that uh, Jacob anointed as being the Bethel was now the stone that the builders were about to reject that was standing here in John chapter 1, and he said the angels of God would ascend and descend on him. If you are in Christ, you are the Israel of God. If you are in Him, you are in your promised land. If you are in Christ, you are in the city of God. If you are in Christ, you are in the Melchizedek priesthood. You are already in. That's so powerful to me. Now let me finish this, uh, this, this thought in Galatians, the fourth chapter. It's now, now this Hagar is, this is verse 25, represents Mount Sinai in Arabia, and she corresponds to the present Jerusalem. 
for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem which is above, that is the way of faith, represents Sarah is free and she is our mother. Now, now think about that. I just said that to you. We are in new covenant. Now if you want to give your inheritance to Israel, that's your prerogative. I don't believe I'm God's second choice. I'm sorry. I believe that He chose me in Him before the foundation of the world. And I don't believe that I'm an afterthought in the parentheses theory that that, that, that that Jesus or God really loves Israel and that was His first choice, but because she rejected Him, now He's going to marry us and then, you know, when she takes Him back, He's going to go back to her. Well, that, that really doesn't give me much comfort. But when I realized that I was the first choice all along and that He was going to join together both Jew and Gentile tear down the middle wall of partition, make peace between us, and include it. I think that's what you see in John chapter 4, the woman at the well is a Samaritan woman who is a picture of the Gentiles because he's going to Jew, see in, in, hallelujah. He comes to Nicodemus in chapter 3 and says, you need to be born again. In other words, your ethnic birth is not enough and you're here in a religious system, and you're looking for something that's not satisfying you. Here comes a woman who is a Samaritan, and she's a Gentile, and what she's looked for in the world didn't satisfy her. But Jesus is the answer to both of them. All I'm doing is trying to put Jesus at the forefront, and the new covenant in its proper perspective that includes both Jew and Gentile. He said, but the Jerusalem above, that is the way of faith, rep she represented, she's represented by Sarah, is free. She is our mother. For it is written in the Scripture, Rejoice, O barren woman who has not given birth. Break forth into a joyful shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate woman has many more children than she who has a husband. Now remember again, Jacob is on his way to get a bride. And when he gets married to Rachel, she's going to be a barren woman. In other words, it's a picture of being born or being joined to what seems like it's unfruitful and barren at first, but is a picture of the new covenant. And here's something that really speaks to my heart, because when you first start preaching the new covenant, it doesn't look like it's producing fruit. It almost looks like a barren womb. And when I first started preaching, I almost wanted to go back to the law, because I thought, you know what? Law can change your behavior, but grace will change your heart. And so while it may seem like the Old Covenant is fruitful, all it does is bear fruit of human flesh, labor, and what you can produce through Sinai or Hagar. And a trip to, from Abraham to Hagar's tent caused him problems the rest of his life. And the son of the bondwoman persecuted her that was the son of the free woman. Remember, Esau is on his way to the house of Ishmael to get himself a bride. I don't know what you want to get married to, but I sure don't want to get back married into an old covenant. I'm glad I'm freed from that covenant. Now let me go on to say, it said, for the desolate woman has many more children. And matter of fact, in Isaiah 54, he uses this very terminology. He says, single barren, stretch forth the curtains of your tent, because you're about to become fruitful. So all of a sudden, I want you to know that I believe that God is about to release some fruit from a new covenant church and a new covenant perspective in the gospel of grace and the finished work of Jesus that's going to manifest as the true promised seed of God as we see a manifestation of Him in the earth. It said, for the desolate woman has many more children than she who has a husband. And verse 20 says, and we 
we that are believing brothers and sisters like Isaac are children, not merely of physical descent like Ishmael, but are children born of promise, born miraculously, natural birth and spiritual birth. I really ought to tie this in with Nicodemus again when I finally get to him, because when he comes to Nicodemus he says, you must be born again. So he's talking about, you know, what's born of flesh is flesh, what's born of spirit is spirit, Nicodemus. In other words, he's making the comparisons of the natural birth and the spiritual birth. He said, but at, at the time the child of ordinary birth, uh, born according to the flesh, persecuted the son who was born according to the promise and the working of the spirit, so it is now also. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman, Hagar, and her son, Ishmael. For never shall the son of the bondwoman be heir and share in the inheritance with the son of the free woman. Now listen to me. This is your Bible. And it is saying, it is not talking about a restoration here of natural Israel coming back into the covenants of promise. As a matter of fact, I didn't say this. The Apostle Paul did. He said, cast out the bondwoman. Hagar, and her son Ishmael, for never, never shall the son of the bondwoman be heir and share the inheritance with the son of the free woman. So then, believers, we who are born again, reborn from above, spiritually transformed and renewed and set apart for His purpose, are not children of the slave woman, the natural, but of the free woman, the supernatural. And then Paul comes into the next chapter and admonishes them not to go back to the rituals of circumcision, not to go back to the flesh. And in Galatians, the fourth, all through the book of Galatians, being in the flesh, it's talking about going back to your natural genealogy and your natural self-help human effort. And he says to them in the beginning of this, you started out in the spirit. Do you think you are going to be made perfect in the flesh? And Paul tells them in another place, when we were in the flesh, Romans 7, we were under the law. And in chapter number 4 he talks about when we were children, when we were in the flesh. And he talks about being in the flesh, and he talks about the concision, and beware of the concision. He tells them, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free, and be not again entangled in the yoke of bondage. He's not talking about don't go back to the world. He's telling them, don't go back to Judaism. You began in the Spirit. Let the Spirit finish doing the work. Because in the New Covenant, it's not a government of law, it's a government of living spirit. Because just as John says in chapter 1, I baptize you with water, but the one that's coming down over the banks is going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And so he begins to show him that, you know, that the new covenant, the kingdom of God is the government of heaven set up in your life through the government of Holy Spirit. And so Paul starts to give the contrast in chapters 4 and the latter part of chapter 5 by saying, if you're in the flesh, you're under the law. Now see, we don't think about that. But they that are in the flesh cannot please God. In other words, you cannot through human effort do enough good works to impress God. You, works and labor and circumcision avails nothing but faith towards God. 
And so Paul was telling them that, and he goes on down to say, as he goes down through this chapter, he's warning them, don't go back and get in the flesh. I did a whole teaching at my conference on what it meant to be in the flesh. Now, I'm not saying that some of these things that you see manifest are not flesh, but watch this. Right on the heels of the Apostle Paul telling them, don't go back under law. Don't go back to this bondwoman. Don't go back to Judaism. Don't go back to touch not, taste not, handle not. Don't go back to divers washings, and don't go back to sacrifice, and don't go back to human performance, and don't go back to, you know, uh, don't go back to circumcision. It's right after that that he begins to talk to them and say, stand fast to the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free, and be not again entangled with the yoke of slavery. Remember, the yoke of slavery is mentioned here in Galatians 4, and that is Hagar, Mount Sinai, the law is in, she's in slavery. Don't go back. The yoke of slavery he's talking about in the context of these scriptures is the bondage of law and legalism. And then as he comes on down into this chapter in Galatians, just a few verses below that, he'll say, now the works of the flesh are made manifest, which are these, hatred and malice and envy and strife and divisions and emulations and, and, and adulteries and, and, and drunkenness and revelings and, and the such like. And then he stops and says, of which I've told you before, and I will tell you again, that they which do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, let me just say this to you. The key word there is inherit, because the whole book of Hebrews is about receive and not achieve. It's about inheritance rather than earning. And he's saying, if you are doing, in other words, right on the heels of him saying, listen, if you are in the flesh, you are still under the law. You start out in the spirit, do you think you're going to be made perfect by the flesh? In other words, to go back into flesh means you're going to do this through human performance. And he says, they that are in the flesh, here's what happens if you're in the flesh. Hatred, malice, envy, strife, division, emulation. The stuff you see in every church. Jealousies, all the stuff you see in every church that's just the same spirit of murder that was on Cain and Abel because one was accepted on the basis of his sacrifice, which was a blood sacrifice, and the other that was trying to be accepted on the basis of the fruit of the ground which his human sweat and labor had produced. Can I tell you that, 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 he, that that's what produces murder, hatred, envy, strife, all of those things is this performance comparison, comparing one with another, I'm holier than you are, that produces scribes and Pharisees that says, I thank God I'm not like that sinner. Paul said that the law stirred up in me all manner of concupiscence. He says in 1 Corinthians that the strength of sin is the law. He says in Romans 7, when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And so when he says in Galatians 5, the works of the flesh are made manifest, which are these. He's saying if you're under the law, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be full of hatred, malice, envy, strife, divisions, emulation, drunkenness, all of those things because you know what? You're still not satisfied in the inner man and you're looking for external things to satisfy you. Now, he doesn't leave you there. He says, but they that do such things will not inherit the kingdom. He's not saying there, if you foul up and make a mistake, you're not going to go to heaven. He's saying, this is not what produces inheritance in the kingdom, because you don't perform to get the kingdom. 
But the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, the fruit of the Spirit, now, not the works of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is not like this plastic fruit you see on a centerpiece at somebody's table at Thanksgiving. It's real, genuine fruit that's not a product of anything except being connected to the right root. And the moment you get connected to the right root and you get the Spirit of God working in you, it produces the kingdom. In other words, what he's saying is this is not, these texts are not just about going to heaven when you die. They that do such things will not inherit the kingdom. He's talking about when you are under the law and you are doing these things, they are sabotaging you of life in the kingdom right now, which is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now let me say this to you. In, in, my, in my, one of my latest books, From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift, that you can get through our website or Amazon, you get it audio at Audible or, or through our website. John the Baptist, who we're talking about in John 1, says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The word repent means to turn about to change your mind, to think differently. John's saying, change your mind. First message ever preached. Change your mind about what, John? The kingdom. In other words, he's saying, change your mind because a new form of government is about to come on the scene. Turn about. And see, the gospel is not just about what you turn from. It's also about what you turn toward. And a lot of people have turned from law, and a lot of people have turned from religion. Now hear what I'm saying, because I believe it's important, and here's what I just said. What I'm preaching to you is not a lawlessness. I'm not telling you that you stand fast in a liberty so you can go do anything you want to and destroy yourself, because what you'll do is you'll trade the bondage of law and legalism for the bondage of substance abuse or the bondage of sin. And all you've done is change slave masters. What I'm talking about is whom the sun sets free, is free indeed. So when you turn from law and you turn from religion, if you don't turn toward the Lord and you don't turn toward the government of Holy Spirit, you're going to be, and I know this is a play on words, you're going to be an untoward generation because you're not turned toward the Lord. But when you turn toward the Lord, what happens is, and I think this is a piece that really needs to be preached in the grace message, is the Holy Spirit is to the new covenant what the law was to the old covenant. In other words, 50 days after the children of Israel left, Egypt, 50 days exactly, after a lamb is slain, they're at the foot of Mount Sinai, and God gives them the law. 3,000 people drop dead. And the new covenant, 50 days after Jesus, the true Lamb of God, is slain, they're in an upper room. 50 means Pentecost. The word Pentecost means 50. 50 days after Passover was Pentecost. So when the day of Pentecost was fully come, exactly 50 days after the true Lamb of God is slain, they're in an upper room, and this time God don't give them the law. He does not give them rules on rocks. He fills them with the Holy Ghost. If, I, if you will, He turns the water into wine like He does in chapter 2 of the book of St. John, if you've been following my teaching on this. And He puts the Holy Spirit in us. And 3,000 are added to the church. Under the Old Covenant, 3,000 drop dead because the letter kills. In the New Covenant, 3,000 are added because the Spirit gives life. Now that's powerful to me. Now let me just say this to you. 
when the Holy Spirit comes in, He brings the kingdom. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So at Pentecost you receive your inheritance. Once you inherit the kingdom, the outflow of the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, goodness, temperance, against such which there is no law. So the Spirit living inside of you produces the manifestation of your inheritance, which is the kingdom of God. Now to me that's so powerful. Now I think it's incredible once again that all of these pictures that we see in the book of John are powerful pictures again of many of the things that I'm sharing with you as uh, we could kind of just see, uh, I mean I, I hope you're seeing the continuity as we've shared especially the last four segments dealing with these thoughts on how the whole book of John is an overview that was, yes, miracles in fact, but showing them a much bigger picture so that believing they might have life through His name. So when Jesus is saying you're going to see the angels of God ascend and descend, He is showing them that He is the Bethel and that He is the gate of heaven. And because we are in Him, we are His house, and the new man and the new creation is the gate of heaven. You're either a gate of hell or you're a gate of heaven. You're either going to produce hatred, malice, envy, strife, divisions, or you're going to produce love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and you're going to release that in the planet as a manifestation of the kingdom of God in the earth, and the kingdom of God begins to permeate and flow out throughout the earth in just a powerful, powerful way. And, uh, and, and, and uh, you have to decide what you're going to be. One of the things he said to them is, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And uh, you know, I, I, I think so many times we are missing so much because surely the presence of the Lord is now in this place, and we don't discern it. But the moment you do, you will find out that there are angels of God that ascend and descend because you are in that one Son, Christ. And they carry heaven's resources. And heaven's, I mean, there is a reciprocal communication open between the heavens and the earth. It's interesting to me that John, even in John 1, said to whoever you see the dove land and remain, that's the one who is the promised seed. You've probably heard me say this before, but I think it's worth repeating. I believe that's the same dove that flew out of the ark of Noah looking for a new world. And when it landed on Jesus, it found the olive branch where God put His rainbow and His new covenant on that sun. And when that Holy Spirit dove landed on Him, it remained on Him, and the heavens were opened. Up until then the heavens have been shut up, but now the heavens are open, never to be shut up again. I think that's powerful stuff. I'm going to come back and talk about Jacob's vow when I on the next segment. We're going to come back and probably do at least one more, and I think you're going to be blessed by it. Uh, we're about to run out of time, but if you'd like to sow into our ministry and help us to stay on the air, take this kind of gospel around the world, uh, you can do it by uh, giving a uh, seed through our website. It's the easiest way. You can go there and even sign up for a monthly debit if you'd like to become a monthly partner. 
There's a text to give number on the screen, makes it very easy for you. Or you can call and someone will take your call with the debit card or credit card. You could also send a check or money order uh, to the number that'll come up on the screen. But join us again next week at the same time, and I believe you're going to be blessed as we continue to unpack the Word of God. God bless you. Thank you for joining us. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving Father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.